strong churches. So I just got to read in from Luke 14. Verse 28 says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? But if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go off to war against another king. When he first sit down, consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is talking about discipleship. He's talking about this whole process of if you're going to follow me, then you need to consider what it is to follow me. And I just, I'm taking it out of context slightly, but I think anything we build, we've got to actually look at the cost of it. If you're going to build a house, if you're going to buy a house, if you're going to do different things, anything you're going to put an investment into, the first thing you need to think about is, okay, how much am I prepared to put into this to get what I need out of it? And church planting is very much like that. How much am I willing to invest into it? Because um, unlike other nations of the world, and there are some nations in the world where literally you can write to people, tell them you're opening a church or put on a crusade and people will come along and all of a sudden you've got a group of people that you can turn into a church. That's not so in the UK. We're not in that culture or climate where we can just advertise something, people turn up and all of a sudden you've got a gathering and you can get on with it. We have to really work at it. Church planting's flipping hard work. Am I allowed to say flipping hard? Yeah. It is hard work. It, you know, there are lonely hours, there are challenges, there are Uh, financial constraints and all the rest of it. Anything you do in life, if you're going to do it well, you've you've really got to make an investment. We were over in Inspire last week. Some of you were there. Alan Hewitt was talking about communication. And he said, if you want to be a great communicator, you've got to spend 20 hours a week preparing your message. I just want to say, I haven't spent 20 hours on this message. (laughs) But Alan will communicate completely different level to the way I'll communicate. That's his... That's his thing. That's what he does so well. But he says, for every message that he preaches, 20 hours a week. I would love to preach like Alan Hewitt. I just don't want to make the investment. And the fact is, you have to make a cost analysis. You have to think, what do I want to be? What does my church want to be? What does my team want to be? What does my family want to be like? Can I just say right up front that... The most important thing you've got, if you've got kids, they are the most important thing. So you can have a great church of hundreds of people and your your kids hate God and hate church because of the experience they've had. Just want to say that I think you need to look after your kids. If you're a church planter, think about that. What am I going to do with my kids? Where are my kids going to go? How am I going to facilitate Jesus for them? Because in a church plant, you know, you're in scruffy buildings, there's no... No other kids there and all that stuff. And sometimes God is gracious, gives us. But you need to put them in a church. You need to take them to clubs. You need to make sure that they're engaging with life alongside what you were doing. Do you get what I'm saying? Repurposing can be a real challenge when it comes to your family. You've got teenagers and you've got this grand dream for taking over this church with 15 old people who hate everything that's modern, hate everything that's young, and hate everything that's godly. You're going to take your family and then you're going to transform it. Your kids need help with that stuff. You need to process that. I'm not saying you don't do it, but you need help with it. 
And maybe you need to be thinking broader. So you do an evening meeting and then you take your kids somewhere else down the road so that they're in a great environment for Jesus. Think about these things because somehow we get gung-ho, God will sort all that out and God says, no, I give you responsibility. So a few things just out of this passage. First of all, Jesus says, consider. When you first sit down, he says, sit down. So, you know, take the weight off your feet, consider. If you were thinking of planting a church, can I say to you, please, consider what God is saying to you. Consider what the cost you're willing to pay. Consider the time of your life. Consider the opportunity you've got. Consider the financial backing you've got. Consider your gift. Consider your mandate. Consider what God wants. And having then considered, think about it. Because far too many people, it's great that we're all here. I'm really encouraged by that. But we don't want train wrecks. We don't want people going into church planting and doing church planting for three years and then leaving the church because they got burned, hurt, and nobody supported us and nobody was with us and we felt we were abandoned and all that stuff that can so easily happen. So first things first, consider. Have a think about it. Uh, I'm in the middle of a building project, and if you were like me, you're an optimist. So when they told me about the building, we're leasing a building, I said, oh, it'll cost us about 300000 to redevelop the building. And we will be in by September. I had booked a conference in our building. It was an AOG conference that I could move by the November. In the November, it was an absolute tip. We were in the middle. In fact, we were thrown out of the building so that they could do the stuff they were doing. So we are still in the middle. This is a year on. We're still in the middle of a building site, and it's cost us twice as much as I thought it cost. Why? Because I'm a pastor and a leader. Because I think, oh, it'll be cheap. It'll be great. We'll do it. It'll be... And sometimes when you look at church planting, you can think, oh, it'll be fantastic. God's with me. It'll all happen. It'll probably cost you a lot more than you think. And it'll take a lot longer than you think. That doesn't mean that you need to be put off, but it doesn't mean you need to consider. Second thing is calculate. Jesus says this, estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. So I've been involved in church planting. We planted a church up in Scotland, my first Coming out of Bible college, I went into a church plant. Uh, we have planted in Barnsley. We've got a church plant going on in Wales. We've got a couple of camps, campuses now outside Doncaster. We also tried to plant a church in Harrogate. I was up on the platform, a national conference, me, Roy Todd, another guy from Scunthorpe. We were there. We were having money from AOG. We were going to plant this church, and we're going to do great things. We went to Harrogate for six months. We spent £2,500. We traveled up every week on a Saturday, and in the midweek, we saw one person come to the church. I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm talking about coming to the church in six months. This is the God-honest truth. We did none of the stuff that we heard, and we didn't know about anything of the churches up there. We didn't know anything of the people. Oh, we're going to go in there. We're going to do it. John Partington was behind us, stirring us on. And we failed drastically and learned a ton of stuff. So, you know, don't just jump into something. Think about it. Calculate. Have a look at it. Churches need different churches in different areas. So we are looking to plant in a church in September, which we do with somebody else. That's a teak over a building. Somebody phoned me recently, said, we've got this building. Can you do anything with it? And so we'll try and do something with AOG. Another place that we've got just outside Doncaster, somebody phoned me, the church growth front. We've got this building. Do you want to do something? We're doing social work out of that. So everything is different, but you need to make sure that you're calculating. Because with the last building that I was offered, I said, I don't think we can do it. 
We as a church can't do it. But I can maybe give the building to AOG and we'll plant the church with a group of people and do something. So there's ways and means of doing things. But don't take on everything yourself. Number three, consultation. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule, ridicule you. In, in Assemblies of God, over the years, we've done a lot of inspiring about church planting, but not a lot of consulting. And what was mentioned earlier about going into another parish, we have parishes within AOG. They're just called locations. It's just that if you've got somebody, I remember planting this church in Scotland. I didn't tell anybody. I just went in there. We started the church, and then I had everybody phoning me and mailing me names I'd never heard of before, saying, what are you doing in Scotland? Why didn't you do it through me? Well, actually, I didn't do it because I didn't know I meant to do it. But we've got to look at things, and then we need to consult with the people who are there. What, What do you need? How can we do it? How can we do this together so that we can reach something for Jesus? And then final thing, number four is, capacity. This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. This is not my preach, but it's the foundation to it. Because foundations are key in everything we do. Foundations are massively important. But he says this, the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And what we need to know about is our own capacity for planting. We got a vision as a church over the next 20 years to plant 100 churches. We want to plant 100 churches and we want to go for it. But I know this, at the moment, we're maxed out capacity-wise. We've got five little things going on and our teams are stretched and we're trying to do as much as we can. And I got this offer, as I say, for the sixth one in September. And I'm thinking, oh, we've got to do something. Opportunity is everywhere around us, but we have to understand our capacity. So just be careful with that because I know myself that I say, yeah, we'll do it. And then my staff and team go, oh no, he's committed us to another thing. He's just, and the thing is, I'm out of the building, I'm going around the place, and they are the ones then who are picking up the burden. So just, and in yourself, think about your family. How are we going to do this church plant? And your kids are in school, and they're located, and all of these things have to be considered. So just think about these things. So thinking about the world strong, I want to give you quickly, because I've got about 30 minutes, Six things using each letter. Is that okay? First thing, which I think is the most important, is spiritual leadership. If we are going to plant strong churches that are going to survive, we need spiritual leadership in place. And so you, you might not really know what your gifting is. You might, know, uh, you might know who you are, and you might be just here testing the water today, thinking, well, I'd love to have a go, and all that's great. But can I say the The biblical way of planting churches is through the giftedness of apostles and prophets. And when you look at the New Testament, it's not just people having a go. People talk about Jesus and people get saved. If you ever look at Acts chapter 11, it says that the people who were scattered through persecution began to speak about Jesus, and not only to Jews, but now they were speaking to Gentiles. And before long, a revival breaks out in this place, and the church recognized what's going on. So what do they do? They sent Barnabas the apostle to this new group of people to establish a church. So get the picture. Revival's happening. Miracles are happening. Outbreak is happening. The city's being affected. Salvation is happening on all different fronts. So they don't look at it and say, fantastic, go down and just have a look at it and come back. They say, no, we need an apostle there to do something because this is a breakthrough move and we now need some governance on it. We need some established ministry to make sure that this thing survives and is not just an outbreak. 
problem with revival, very often you get outbreaks of God doing things, and then it pitters away because spiritual leadership hasn't been attached to it. And I, I do like the, the model of the, the Anglicans in some ways. You've got the cathedrals that then are operating in parishes where it's almost resource centers. And assemblies of God, we've got to think smarter. We've got to think, where's, where's the house where the apostolic is sitting, where we can run to, get resource, where we can get input, where we can get that gift happening into our lives. So you don't have to be an apostle or a prophet to be planting a church, but you need their input. You must have their input, because if we're going to birth correctly, in fact, I reckon, and it's not just me, but I think most of our problems in Assemblies of God over the years is the birthing of churches out of the problem that John talked about where we just say, well, I'm going to take 70 people out of, a, out of a thing that's already going on. We try and plant it, but it's not planted apostolically. It's planted out of a split, or it's planted because somebody just has a, you know, a fallout with somebody, and away they go. And instead of having spiritual foundations, we end up having weak foundations. So the Bible talks about the church being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of apostle prophets with Christ as the chief cornerstone. Obviously, a foundation is really important. If there was no foundations in this building, we'd all be in the car park right now because the thing would have fallen over. And the fact is, lots of churches get planted, grow for a little while, and then before you know it, they've disappeared and dissipated simply because they weren't built on true foundations. And we need foundational people. In in Assemblies of God, we're talking about apostolically led. We're not talking about NLT-led. Are you getting that? It's not NLT, apostolic. We're talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that we've got these gifts within our mix, and we need to be registering them. We need to be open to them. We need to be allowing them to come and speak into the life of our churches so that we can get great foundations. There's a lot I could say on that, but I'm not going to push it. It was built on apostolic teaching, Acts 2.42. They've devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. If you're going to build a strong church, then you need strong truth. And I think that God has gifted. You know, when you, when you do open a new church, what happens is you get every Tom, Dick, and Harry coming. You do know that, don't you? If you've planted any church, you get, hi, is it your first time in church? Yeah, 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 I've been around this area for 30 years, and I'm just coming to see if I can help you build this church. And you're almost like, oh, here we go. We've got one of them type. And everybody that comes in who has been in church before come in with their past and with their prophetic of what they see church being like. So it's not just a matter of saying, okay, we believe this, and then we be in the church. You've got to actually build doctrinally into that church. And sometimes that's not just a case of talking truth. You need somebody who can actually build truth into the church. And first of all, maybe you need that built into your life. And I think apostles sometimes are overlooked. They're just these fanciful church planters. No, they're not. They're builders of God's house. We need people who can ground our new churches in apostolic truth so that they are bringing something so that the foundation of the church is built on truth, not on the wacky, the wonderful, and the weird. And so many church plants are growing, but they're growing in all different directions. Vision, truth, culture, and doctrine needs to be established. And if you're a church planter, can I just encourage you that it's not just a matter of you doing stuff all the time. You need to be located in an apostolic house. 
So you are, you are going to get training, input, refreshing. People say, can you come to, our, come to the church and do some leadership? It's better if you come to our church when we are doing leadership because then you're part of something bigger. And so we got people now coming into the church and I've gone to different churches. It's better if we can do it together. We can get apostolic input into us all and all of a sudden we're moving together like an army in step with each other. Do you get what I'm saying? New Testament church was governed by ministry gifts of apostles and prophets. It says, and in the church, God's appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So there's governance gift that happens with the apostolic and the prophetic. These are all the things of spiritual leadership. There is Roman 12 leadership, Romans 12, where you can look after people, you can build a team, there's leadership on you, but there is spiritual ministry gift leadership that is a different dynamic. And in the church, we need these leaders being released into our lives to speak to us and help us. It was leaders, these leaders who appointed other leaders. So the apostles and prophets appointed, they went round and they appointed elders. So they appointed these leaders in the churches. And then finally, it was prepared by fivefold ministry gifts. So the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher prepare what? This, the church for works of service. So we need our people energized. We need them exposed to the apostolic. We need them exposed to the prophetic, to the pastoral, evangelistic, and the teaching gifts. You can't be everything. We do know that, do So if you're a church planter and you're wanting to plant the church, you need to be engaging with other ministry gifts who can help you. Otherwise, we, we build churches out of tilt. We're all prophetic or we're all worship or we're all evangelistic. But in the New Testament, there were people who come, came in to establish spiritual leadership. This is not building a business. This is God's church. Looking after his bride is the most important thing any of us can ever do if we're called to it. Because if you're called a business, don't do it. Do know that near. If you're not called to, to, to lead a church, please don't do it. You'll slit your wrists. Spiritual leadership. Number two, training. If we're going to build strong churches, we need to have a training of people taking place. Um, one of the things, I, I love the culture that we're in these days. You have to train everybody all the time because you've got new people coming in. You've got people on the doors. We need to train people on the doors, don't we? Some of you are looking, why do you want to train people on the door? Because that's the most important place. You know, I've walked into churches, thankfully, years and years ago where you meet somebody on the door and you think, well, if I was coming here for the first time, I'd go away right now. You know what I mean? It's almost, what do you want? Type of thing. So we need to train our people on the doors. We need to train our people on PA systems. We need to train our pe- train in everything that we do in. Um, and so if we are going to build strong churches, then we need to have training mechanisms that help us to develop people. And Assemblies of God, we're looking at this now. We're doing DVD sets so we can get theological training into people. We're doing uh, discussional, conversational training where we can help people envision. I've just sparked a few ideas this morning as Rick was talking about church planting and even the development of worship and all those things. We need to be really looking at it. But in your local church, it's not enough to preach every Sunday. You know, if, if you're relying on preaching to change people's, it'll, it'll help people. You've got to apply that stuff. You've got to mold that. You've got to shape that. And so when it comes to building strong churches, you've got to work the clay 
of somebody's life by mentoring and discipling and nurturing and challenging and confronting bad attitudes and all of those things, which all comes under training. You say, oh, well, I'm a great trainer, and our church, we train all the time. What you mean is you teach. It's not enough just to teach. You have to apply. You have to train people. So that means engaging with them. It means watching attitudes. It means picking things up because if you're going to have a strong local church, everybody needs to know that they're on this process. I love, again, what Rick said. When people come in, we're a church planning church. This is what we're on with. So if you're going to be part of us, this is what we're going to do. And so straight away, there's that thing. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Four levels of communication. What I've said unto you, pass on to entrusted people who will give to reliable people. So he's not just saying, get what I've got. He's saying, get what I've got and then give what I've got. Pass it on. There's a training culture in what he's saying to Timothy. So we've got to be training people. And there's a million things we could go into with that. Number three, R for relational. If we're going to build strong churches, then we've got to build churches where we connect with people and we connect people together. Connecting people to people, connecting people to God. That's got to be our heartbeat, that constantly we're building relationally where we are helping people be, feel part of what we're on with, part of what we're doing, moving into the things that we need to be doing. If we're just training and then not getting people working in team, then we're not connecting. So the, the hardest thing about training I found over the year is, years is you do some training courses and then at the end of it, you've got no pl- place to put people. And so you train people, and then you finish that course, and then six months later, we're starting another course. Anybody want to sign up to this course? And then people are thinking, um, what is the aim of this? Is it to do the course, or is it to outwork the course? And the fact is, in church, sometimes we can talk all the time about what we should be doing, but never engage people to do it. And you can only engage people relationally. We need to make sure that we build in relationally with people. One of the things of the most important thing I think John Partington teaches us on the national team is how to how to have fun together. How to laugh at life and have a good time together and be together and gel together. There's a relational connection that surpasses anything that you would otherwise want to get, but also it empowers you and enables you to connect and want to go forward together. So I want to support Phil because I got a relationship with him, not because I sit in a team with him. I know that sounds contradictory, but sometimes you can sit in a team with somebody and not even like them. And that is a contradiction. The fact is, in in our local churches, if we're going to build strong churches, there's got to be relationship. And you know what relationship means? It means being straight. Stop faffing around. And if you are a faffer, get some backbone and decide that I need to lead people and help people to build into me relationally. And I'm going to be open to them what they say to me. And I'm going to say it as they need to say it to them because our relationship is the thing we're fighting for. Because what I've found over the years is that people love you to bits until you say what they don't like. Isn't that true? So let's say it up front. Let's just say it up front. Let's try and light a fire. When, when John Partington talked, he talked, I can't remember what he said this, but he talked to all of us and he said, you know, before I invited anybody onto the team, I tested all of you. I still don't know what the test is. When he's finished, maybe I'll ask him. What was my test? 
But he said, I tested every one of you because I wanted to know what you were made of. I think that's a, that's a brilliant strategy for building relationship. Because if you press somebody and every time you press them, you hit a bruise, then you're not going to be able to use them for long or they're going to walk off with a bunch of people down the road. And when you're church planting, you can't afford that. None of us can afford it, but certainly not in a church planting world. So you can be the best preacher in the world. You can have the best worship. You can have the best venue in the middle of the high street. But if you're not a relational congregation, people will come and go in the same breath. And we've got to build relationally. Number four, ordered. If we're going to build strong churches, we need ordered churches. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was in chaos, and he spoke order. If you're a leader and you're going to build a strong church, you have to speak order into the life of your church. I've been in churches, like you probably, where you think it is like a farm. You know what I mean? It's all going off, and it's like, I thought we started at Apus 10, it's quarter 11, and everybody's just running around doing their thing, and then you know, the band that just don't know where the guitar is, and then you're in the middle of worship, and three people are running on stage, and you're thinking, what is going on here? Will somebody get hold of this thing? Are you with me? Order. And order isn't like rules and regulations. Order is culture, that, that we have a, a thing that we're doing. You know what? We are living in a world today, right, where if you think people have got bags of time, they haven't. So people don't want to come along to your event if they don't know when it starts and when it finishes. I don't want to turn up to a church that starts in the morning and finishes in the afternoon. I'm not going to that church, even to preach, if you ask me. If you say, oh, come along sometime in the morning. We start about 10.30, between 10 and 12. And then we'll have some, you know, we'll just... I wouldn't go there. So why would anybody who is used to living in a world where everything is ordered? Chaos is not allowed in the church of Jesus. Now, you can have nights where you just say, okay, we're going to open it up Wednesday night. We're going to come in, and it's going to be Holy Spirit night. You know, we're going to, we're going to let God do some stuff. But even then, bring it to a close so that people who want to go are not sitting there thinking like they want to throw something at you because the babysitter by now has phoned them 53 times on the phone. They're part of the leadership, and they're thinking, my life is falling apart while you are waxing lyrical. You're getting the message. I think order is really important, but it's more than just just have an order in your meetings. I think we need to have order in the fact of our systems. We do need rotors. We need people to engage with it. You've got professional people coming into church thinking, wow, you mean this place actually functions? So if, if we're going to keep professional people, they need systems. We need statistics. You need to know how many people are in your church on a Sunday. Why? Why do I need to know that? You know, David was David was slain by the Lord because he counted the fighting men. Yeah, you're in the wrong millennia. We're in the church of Jesus. Jesus was interested. There were 5,000 people who got fed on the mountain. There were 4,000 in another time. There were 12 disciples. There were 72 who were commissioned. 120 in the upper room. There were 3,000 saved. Then there were five. All of them are statistics. Oh, I don't like statistics. You need them. You need to know when the best time to take up your vision offering. All we take, I was in February every year. There's nobody in church in February. And I'm saying, you know, it could be. Or we take them on Christmas Day. Nobody comes to church. They're all with their family. Take them when the most people are in church. And you'll do that by looking at your statistics. Hello? Think about what you're doing. Think about statistics are people. 
So if I know that this person has had a card and they've had a, a DVD and they've had a phone call and they've had that, I'm, I'm not caring about the stats. I'm caring about the person at the other end of the stats. It's really important if you're going to build a strong church. God likes order. I've said it already. If you start at 10.30, start at 10.30. Family. Your church wants you to be ordered. So if you're a church planter, listen, the weight of the world is not on your shoulders. You don't have to be out every night. Hello? If you've got young kids, at least one night a week is needed for your young kids. You should have a family night. If you are married, your spouse needs your time. I, in my early ministry, you know, it was, it was as if I was married to the church and, and Dell was my bit on the side. Seriously, because she'd have to fight for my time all the time. And she had to change my thinking on that with her persuasion. And the fact is, some of us need to get persuaded on it right now that your family is a gift of God that you've got to look after. Your finances, you have to get control of them. I can remember being in church. We were planting a church. It used to, in them days, I think about it now, it used to cost £30 a week to have um, our food bill. was £30 a week, me and two kids. You know, Dell and two kids. And I remember the church saying to us, uh, we're all going out for a meal at Christmas time. We were, we were paid full time, but we weren't paid full. You know what I mean? You'll all know that. Um, so I can remember them saying, and saying, so of course, as the pastor was going across there and, and living there, you know, I was going into the church. They'd been set up by Mother Church, and I was now the new leader. And so they said, you, you know, you coming along? Yeah, yeah, of course I'm coming along. So it's 36 pound. I nearly died. 36 pound. You mean 36 pound? That's like, that's like eight days of my week. That's my shopping bill gone. You've got to understand the pressures of that. The thing with me, I was so proud. I didn't say, actually, you know, I, I don't think I can afford that on the money I'm on. I think we'll have to step out. I've got a couple of kids. In them days, I just went with it. We booked it. I know we trust God. But my kids suffer because of those decisions. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Talk to somebody. Sit down with your treasurer and say, look, I know we're early in the team, but 36 pounds is a lot of money for me. Or whatever it is for you, talk, communicate. And be engaged with an apostolic house. And when those things go on, you can sit with somebody and say, Christian, I don't know what it's like for you. Mate, I'm, in, I'm squeezed here. And you may find that God's provision comes through your relational connectedness rather than through you denying your family all the time because you're building into something bigger. You get it? Number five, new believers. If you are going to build a strong church, you've got to go for souls. Don't go for the people who are on the merry-go-round. You're not interested in them. They're better off in the church where they are or where they've left. We have to reach people for Jesus. So evangelism is something you've got to be doing. You've got to be connecting socially. You've got to be working with people. You've got to be sharing with people. You've got to be building into your church that the most important people are not yet in the room. So don't do the kumbaya sessions where we're all going to just, you know, you know what I mean, don't you? We're all going to just close our eyes and sing it. And if you're a new person, you feel as if you've just been pushed out because everybody's doing the thing. We've got to build open living rooms in our churches so people can come in and feel comfortable and, and reach people with the love of Jesus. We've got to reproduce disciples. So we've got to reach people, but then reproduce them. So who's going to reproduce the disciple? Well, it's not going to be you. 
because you've got leaders or you've got people you're going to reproduce. So you have to work on people and you have to make sure that the people that you put over people are the right people. I know this sounds like rocket. Oh, but I got a pastoral gift, Pastor. I love people. Yeah, I know, but you abuse them when you talk to them. You, you know, there's everything wrong about you, and you want to look after. I know you love people, but you are better doing this because I need now people who will reproduce who they are because that's going to reproduce who they are, going to reproduce who they are. That's going to be the foundation, the DNA of our house. So your best people, your most passionate, your most excited, your most connected, your most committed need to be the ones discipling the new people that you get in. Don't, don't think, oh, well, they're new Christians. We need to look after the old ones. No, that is the intention of our house. Release giftings. We've got to do different courses and help people with all that stuff. And understand this, that when you are building a strong church, everything you do in church will affect people in different ways. I remember the first time our staff started lead, reading through Maxwell books 10 years ago, 11 years ago, whenever it was. Give him a book. And I, I, had a, I got a guy who's a director in our church now. He started reading this Maxwell thing. He's a director in Network Rail, getting a bit of bad press at the moment. But he's, he's a director there. He started going into work. And what we were teaching him in church was now being translated into his office. That's the way it should be. You, you know, the people talk about, oh, well, the trouble is the church is too much like a business. We should be so far ahead of business. The business looks at us and says, how do you do that stuff? And so teach your people, train people, get their spiritual gifts going, and then raise in leaders. If we're going to make the long haul, we need leaders. And some of the leadership thing is discernment. If you're a man and you're planting, you're probably like me, a plank, and your wife is really discerning. I don't know if that's everybody, but that's the way it is with me, right? I can meet somebody and think, nice person. She thinks there's something there or there's not something there. Is this just me? So I've had to learn over the years. When we first went to Doncaster, we went in there. We were at our opening service, right? Now, Dell doesn't do, um, you know, women who cry all the time and upset at everything. She's quite, a, you know, a, a, an A leader type. And so we went into this meeting room. It was an older church, but there was a, a young woman there. She was in her early, well, mid-30s, and she was sobbing on Dell. I'm looking at her thinking, oh, Dell's going to love her. And so we got in the car, and she had this conversation. Not in the, you know what I'm saying, in the bad way, just thinking, oh. So we get in the car, and Del says, I met an amazing woman tonight. I said, who's that? Thinking she'd talk to somebody else. Did you see the woman who was crying with me? I said, yeah, yeah. She's amazing. I said, oh, 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 oh. Because I would have just said she's crying. She's falling apart. She said, no, God's all over her. I want to say she's put... Tens of thousands of money, her and her husband in the church. They're running our church plant in Barnsley. She is, without doubt, our best culture carrier, best leader that we've got. She's amazing. But Dell saw something I wouldn't have seen. And what we've got to do, when you're raising leaders, you need somebody that sees. Because if you're like me, get somebody around you who sees what you can. Now, I can see leadership skills, but sometimes you've got to see what can't be seen. You've got to see right inside the person and then you can develop that and nurture it. Because strong churches need good leaders. Final thing, strong churches are generational. Two, two parts to this, if you like. Generational in the sense of, I think, all our churches need to be multi-generational. I don't, I don't like this thing of, 
you know, everybody's above 60 in our church. That means you're dying in 10, 15 years. Or everybody's 13 in our church. It's a youth church. Well, they're all going to get old, and you're going to find that they're all, you're going to have to have multi-age. I, in my family, I've got my grandparents. There's my, me as a parent, and we've got grandkids. And Dell is looking forward in the next couple of years to her grandkids, because that's the way God works. And in church, we need all ages. We, meet, we need to make room for all ages. That doesn't mean we make room for all attitudes or all Christian cultures. It's all ages. And if you were thinking, you've got to keep an old meeting to meet older people, you're wrong. Because older people today watch X Factor. So that's their world. That's their paradigm. It's only Christian people like Kumbaya sitting with a tambourine. Do you know what I mean? It's only the older Christians that like the older Christian meetings. But the fact is, we need generational church. But I, I want to take it the next step. We're not generational as just having everybody in the room. We need to be thinking generational. You see, I, went, I went up to um, Durham the other day, standing in the cathedral, 1089, I think it was finished. Something like Oro, or he was started. Been over a thousand years of Christian heritage on that site. That's building generationally. Now, our buildings won't last that long because they're all prefab these days and they're all thrown up in the sense of, but our churches need to. We need to have community groups that are building for the long haul, that we're not just there doing some social enterprise, doing a little bit of this and then out of that community because the grant runs out, we can't afford to work out anymore. No, we need to be there doing the business generationally. And people deserve in our communities great churches. And if you've got a generational church, can I just say, it will have to have a DNA of church planting. Because we can't build buildings these days big enough to house the people God wants to give us. We, we don't want to get to a place. I don't think I want to get to a place where I'm spending 100 million pounds on a building for 5,000 people to meet on a Sunday. But I'd, I'd love to have millions of pounds to plant hundreds of churches across the nation where a couple of hundred people can impact a community for Jesus because we're thinking generationally. Let's not just think up, let's think out. And you can only build a strong church that way when you're relationally connected, when you've got spiritual leadership, when you're training, when you're relational, when you've got your structures in place and you've got order. And then God will breathe on it because at the end of the day, if he doesn't breathe, it's all just stuff. But he can breathe on something that can allow us to leave someone else speak to generations to come. So bless you as you build. I know it's throwing it all out there, and some of you might think, overlord. But if you catch a little bit of it, can I say the final thing? And we really want this to work in AOG. You need, you need apostolic and prophetic in your life. So you need to be finding centers you can engage with. There are people in the room who are church planting and doing stuff, but what more than that, they've built a center and they've got resource, they've got experience, they've got ability. Why reinvent the wheel and find out, oh, it didn't work. Why not go to somebody and say, well, this worked. No, it won't work. And then take their word for it and try something different rather than thinking, oh, but I can make it work. Why don't we just learn to be smarter and we, we can have apostolic centers all over the nation that can help us to do what we need to do so that we can build great churches for Jesus. Amen? Bless you.